back to God's Work Displayed. This episode, we're going to begin a short series on what can we eat. So last last episode, we talked about agriculture, what the, the scripture says about agriculture. And obviously, the reason we have agriculture is to produce food for us to eat. So what should we eat? What is biblically permissible? What is uh, biblically um a sin to eat what is what is not and so they, these questions we're going to address we're going to do a series because it's a big subject really and there's a lot going on so this episode we're going to cover the old testament issues uh some of the big ideas a couple of specific case studies of what the old testament says and then the next episode we'll get into the new testament and i'm not sure if that'll get into just one more episode or if it'll be uh, two more episodes after this. Uh, <clears throat> so, and I'm recording this at the end of February, beginning of March, when I've actually had onions going for a while. So I'm already thinking about this kind of stuff and about growing things and what's good, what to eat. You know, i got to grow stuff in my garden that I'm going to eat. So if we don't grow eggplant because no one in my family eats eggplant, you know. It's not, a, I'll go ahead and say this in the front end, it's not a sin to eat eggplant. Okay, there, now you know. So, it's actually not bad in Baba Ganoush. Anyway, <clears throat> so, we're going to we're gonna plug away at this. Um, I also just want a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. I want to thank all the three listeners who listen. I uh, see you. Actually, I don't see you. Um, you hear me, and that's about it. Hello to Togo. You know who you are. And... <clears throat> Just remember, questions, comments. If you know me personally, just reach out to me individually. Uh, but if you don't know me, the best way to get in touch with me is to go to godsworkdisplayed at gmail.com. And you can email me there. Uh, no, I, um, I'm off social media, so what I started at one point um, as a Facebook page is no longer in existence because I don't get on the face face. So I know I'm a pariah, but that's okay. So, that was for my own mental health, and um, it helps me live peaceably with others. So, there's a scriptural reason for that. Okay, so let's let's kind of get into, um, we're going to call part one of the food and what, what we can and can't eat. So, we're going to start in the best place to start the beginning. We're going to be looking in Genesis. We're going to look at specifically Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. It's not the only place we're going to be in Genesis, but this is where we're going to start. So Genesis 1, 11 and 12. So this is in the midst of God creating all things in seven days. And so then he gets to this day, um, this third day, okay? Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. Alright, so we start off with God... Early on, creating vegetables and fruits, and they're good. Um, 
it actually doesn't talk about seeds. You know, there's, well, talk about that. Seeds are also mentioned in here, but that's more of um, how they propagate themselves. But we see that God created plants and fruit trees. So the vegetation, uh, you know, greens, that kind of stuff, plants yielding seeds. So I would think more grains in this case, because that's the part you eat. Grains is the seed. <clears throat> and you know, obviously fruit. We all like fruit. It's sweet. It tastes good. Apples, pears, bananas, oranges, all that stuff. It's all good. It's good. God said it was. Okay. So, let's go on to verse 20 through 25. Okay. So, we're still in the act of creation, reading about God, creating things. And then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after the kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. And let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. God saw that it was good. Now, it seems strange maybe that I'm reading that passage, because that's not talking about food, but it is. So, what a, just so you guys know, in Genesis, there's a, within scholarly debate, there's quite a bit of debate about Genesis, okay? Um, and one of the issues that's brought about is that God, God in a lot of ways, um, is assigning function in here. We're not going to get into the, the weeds of what else is, what the debate's really rooted in, but, but I think there is something to this uh, about the assignment of function. So whether or not he created it from nothing or created it or made it or fashioned it, however God did it, he also also is assigning function. And so with function means what is the purpose of this? So verse 20, it's talking about the waters teeming with swarms of living creatures. Now, that seems like a strange thing, but when you think of schools of fish, they're like swarms. And so I believe that the author of Genesis here is referring to swarm, uh, schools of fish. And then birds fly above the earth. So we've got creatures in the sea, we've got creatures in the air. And they're good, remember? And then God created great sea monsters, possibly whales, possibly giant octopus, potentially referring to Leviathan even. Um, every living creature that moves, with which the water swarmed after the kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. So, fish are good, birds are good. We'll get, we'll get to that in a little more. Okay, and then it, then God tells the fish and the birds to mul be fruitful and multiply, you know, to propagate themselves, to to make lots of babies. And then move on to verse 24. Bring forth living creatures after their kind. And when they're talking about the kind, it's like, okay, let, let dog things make more dogs, cat things make more cat things. Raccoons make more raccoon things, you know, like that. Um, sloths be sloths. I mean, what what else? I mean, 
they mate. I don't, but they're slow. Anyways, and then it talks about cattle specifically. So it says, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And it goes on, talks more, and it was good. What the author is noting here is that there are creatures that live in the world that are just function within the environment that they live in. And then there are creeping things. It could be lots of things. It could be bugs. It could be snakes, reptiles, that kind of stuff. And then there's cattle. And so I think, specifically, he's probably thinking about cows. That's what we probably are thinking. But it also can refer to, to sheep and goats. But what what the author is saying is that there are animals that are for living in na nature, just wild. There are animals that creep about and freak us out and make people scream. And there are animals that we eat. Okay, so very specifically, and it was good. Now we eat fish, birds, and domestic animals such as cows, sheep, goats. There's other ones too. Guinea pigs, um, but what the author is saying is that there is a distinct set of animals that we eat, and they are good, and that means that eating meat is good. All right, so that's Genesis early on. <clears throat> and how do I, why do I say that? Okay, well, let's go on to verse 29 through 31, and this is after God has made the first man made him in his image, okay, made him male and female, and so he's giving, so God's then now giving instructions to this first couple, 29 through 31, then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food to, for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that he made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, you'll notice the difference. Verse 29 is talking about God has given these plants their food for you. In verse 30, he goes on and says, The, the plants have been given food for the animals. Now, one of the things we note, this gets into a little more theological stuff, but is that before the fall, there was no consumption of meat. Because the consumption of meat requires the death of something, the shedding of blood. And before the fall, that was not happening. Then when we have the fall, where Adam and Eve failed to obey God's commands, they did not... Um, Keep, keep or guard the garden well. And so the serpent got in. We call the serpent and he deceived Eve who had not been taught or guarded by Adam well. And then they ate the fruit. And the fruit or the product of the tree of garden of good, uh, the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil. It's not an apple. Okay, people? It's not an apple. It's a unique fruit just from that. Whatever that is. <clears throat> but they disobeyed. And so then God, you know, curses them. But he does something unique. 
because they were naked. So the Lord made garments of skin. This is in uh, chapter 3, verse 21. God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And I remember reading a, um, a commentary on Genesis in college. And I think it was actually Klaus Vesterman, which I know people are going to be like, what, if you know who that is. But it doesn't matter. The point is, is that he pointed out that God had to kill one of the animals to to cover them. So God actually was the one, the first one to shed blood. But then after that, it seems that it is now permitted to shed blood. And the reason we can say that is because from then on, when we see chapter 4, Cain and Abel, obviously not the shedding of blood of humans, but Abel brings an offering of his flock, which in course of that means that he must kill his offerings. And he brings God the the fat and, and this seems to be what he what he gives. And so he's probably cooking the meat and eating it. Or at least parts of the meat. Because that's usually what happens in um sacrifices, or at least with the meat portions. And so we we see that it, there's this implicit or tacit permission to now shed the blood of animals to eat it. So at this point, what we built up in Genesis is we know that we can eat fruits, we can eat vegetables, we can eat grains, and we can eat meat, meat of red-blooded things, of white-blooded, or white-blooded, white meat, um, like, like chicken, birds, squab, I eat uh, pigeons, we can eat fish, and particularly in this case, uh, swarming things, so it would seem to be like fish with scales and that. So as we're building up, we've been adding permissions of what we can eat, okay? Now, when we get to Genesis 9, we're going to see a little bit something else happen here. I hope everybody is following along and this makes sense. I'm really just doing a survey of what's happening <coughs> in the Old Testament, about the food laws and what's permitted, what's not. At this point, there's really not been any specific um, prohibitions. Okay? All right, so now we get to Noah. And we're going to be in Genesis 9, verses 3 through 5. And what's happened is that they, the ark has landed you know, on the dry land. And um, Noah, and then, so God is blessing Noah. Okay, so God is talking to Noah. And in verses 3 through 5, this is chapter 9, verse 3 through 5, we're going to see what God says about food. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Okay. So we're not going to spend too much time on verse 5. Um, but basically he's saying murder is wrong. Um, and that you need to, you know, when you're spilling the blood of an animal, you need to think... Thank God for it and devote that to God. 
Verse 3, though, every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. All right, what does that mean? Every living thing. So I didn't look this in Hebrew. Um, but typically, you know, typically when they say every or all, it, it means pretty encompassing. Every moving thing. So that would mean cows, sheep, sorry, I had a yawn, uh, goats, pigs, what? Well, I mean, it's every moving thing. Yaks, llamas, guinea pigs, um, I don't know, ants, crickets, locusts, snakes, turtles, sloths, you name it. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Meat has been given to us. Now, there are some who out there hold that meat is wrong, based on biblical prohibitions. As we've made the case so far, there is no prohibition at this point in Genesis for, for meeting meat. So, if any of your basis is built off anything prior to this in Genesis, it is false. Because we are not back in the garden. Even those of us who are redeemed are not in the garden. We have not returned to the garden. We don't live in a new heavens and a new earth. We live on the current fallen earth. And so, God has given this command to his covenant people. Those of us in Christ are his covenant people. Thus, we can eat meat. But we aren't to eat blood. So that does pose a question. Can I have um, blood pudding or black pudding? Based off this text, at this point, you cannot. However, this is also only Genesis 9. We're never very far in the Bible. This is where we are at this point. As we read further into, if you read on straight through the way that the Protestant and Catholic canon is, keep reading, and even into the Torah, well, just the Torah in general, you're going to keep reading and kind of see the history of Israel, and you're going to be, uh, get into Leviticus, and you're going to have a lot of food laws, okay? There are a lot. We're only going to really hit on some main things. Specifically, we're going to be looking at Leviticus 11. And I'm going to actually read through um, a good portion of that. Okay? So you can hear all this. Why? Well, I think this is helpful. It gives some context. I was telling somebody today about Leviticus. The beauty of Leviticus, it's actually one of my favorite books of the Bible, is that it's overwhelming. There's so much to do. There's so many rules, regulations, commandments that it is darkness to some degree. It's 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 too much. And it helps us recognize that. But those of us in Christ, we have the light of Christ. And if you're familiar with Renaissance painting, you there's a concept of chiaroscuro. It's the shadow and the light. Rembrandt does this a lot. And the shadow makes the light even brighter. It brings it out. And so, when Christ is up against the background of Leviticus, he shines even brighter because he's 
nullifying all these things. So I just wanted to to take that time to talk about this because I think it's a beautiful thing to contemplate Christ in in respect to this that Christ doesn't require this of this of us anymore. Christ is offering an easy yoke for you. So I implore you if you aren't trusting in Christ to trust in him now that you don't have to whatever I say in this episode or the next few episodes with food laws it all means nothing without Christ it's it's pointlessness and any attempt you have at being made right with God through your food acts are pointless so trust in Christ at this time but we'll go back to Leviticus because I want us to build this case. So I'm going to actually read all of Leviticus 11 and then we'll, we'll discuss it. The Lord spoke again to Moses and to Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, These are the creatures which you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. So I said, Now here's the things. So what we saw before was we had kind of a Genesis, we had in Genesis 1, eat plants. Genesis 3, you might be able to, in Genesis 4, it seems to be that you can eat meat. Genesis 9, you can eat whatever you want, you just can't eat blood. And now we're in Leviticus 11, and it's going to narrow down what can and can't be eaten. All right, so here's what he says. Whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hooves, and choose the cud among the animals that you may eat. Nevertheless, you are not to eat of these among those which chew the cud, or among those which divide the hoof. The camel, for though it chews cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you. Likewise, the chiffon, or hyrax, or a rock badger, different translations for that, for though it cut, chews cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you, although it's a little cute animal, just so you know. The rabbit also, for though it chews cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you. And the pig, for though it divides the hoof, thus making a split hoof, it does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their carcasses, they are unclean to you. These you may eat, whatever is in the water, all that have fins and scales, those in the water, and the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But whatever is in the seas and the rivers, but does not have fins and scales among all the teeming life of the water, and among all the living creatures that are in the water, they are detestable to you, and they shall be abhorrent to you. You may not eat of their flesh, and their carcasses you shall detest. Whatever in the water does not have fins and scales is abhorrent to you. These, moreover, you shall detest among the birds. They are abhorrent, not to be eaten. The eagle, and the vulture, and the buzzard, and the kite, and the falcon, and its kind, every raven, and its kind, and the ostrich, and the owl, and the seagull, and the hawk, and its kind, and the little owl, and the cormorant, and the great owl, and the white owl, and the pelican, and the carrion vulture, and the stork, the heron and its kind, and the hoopoe, and the bat. <clears throat> all the winged insects that walk on all fours are detestable to you. Yet these you may eat among all the winged insects which walk on all fours, those which have above their feet jointed legs with which to jump on the earth. These, these of them you may eat. The locust in its kind, and the devastating locust in its kind, and the cricket in its kind, and the grasshopper in its kind. But all other winged insects, which are four-footed, are detestable to you. 
By these, moreover, you shall be you will be made clean. Whoever touches these carcasses becomes unclean until evening. And whoever picks up any of their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Concerning all the animals which divide the hoof, but do not make a split hoof, or which do not chew cut, they are unclean to you. Whoever touches them becomes unclean. Also, whatever walks on its paws among all creatures that walk on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcasses becomes unclean until evening. And the one who picks up their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. They are unclean to you. Now these are to the, now these are to you the unclean among the swarming things which swarm on the on the earth, the mole and the mouse and the great lizard and its kinds, and the gecko and the crocodile and the lizard and the sand reptile and the chameleon. These are to you the unclean among all the swarming things. Whoever touches them, they when they are dead, becomes unclean until evening. Also, anything on which one of them may fall when they are dead becomes unclean, including any wooden article or, art or clothing or a skin or sack. Any article of which use is made shall be put in the water and be unclean until evening, and it becomes clean. It's for any earthenware vessel. And it goes on. Um, well, actually, it's time with the unclean animals. We're going to skip. That was... I was um, Fully finished verse 32. I'm going to skip um, on to um, verse 41. Now every swarming thing that swarms on the earth is detestable, not to be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly and whatever walks on all fours, whatever has many feet, respect every swarming thing that swarms on the earth. You shall not eat them, for they are detestable. Do not render yourselves detestable through any of the swarming things that swarm, and you shall not make yourselves unclean with them. So you become unclean. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. For I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up out from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy. For I am holy. This is the law regarding the animal and the bird. And every living thing that moves in the waters. And everything that swarms on the earth. And to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean. And between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten. Okay, so uh, from I'm sure I have listeners, five listeners. Now I'm down to two. So the two that are still hanging in there. Thanks. All right, that's a lot. There's a lot of these specific rules, and you see this narrowing of what's allowed and what's not. And there's a reference all throughout is clean and unclean. Now the interesting thing about clean and unclean is it doesn't have anything to do with uh, whether or not it's got disease like E. coli or whatever other foodborne illness, it's ritual cleanliness. And because a lot of people make a big thing about like, well, you can't have pigs because they wouldn't do well in a desert region, which there's some truth to that. I have a friend who's in Togo and they don't really have pigs there because it's, they have a rainy season and a dry season. And during the dry season, they just pigs would not do well because they need mud to, to cool off so there's that but then that doesn't make sense for other things like the ostrich or the vulture or the rock badger you know or the rabbit you know the rabbits can live on pretty pretty um, terrible land marginal land as we would call it so that 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 argument is is uh, nonsensical in a lot of ways 
the issue is the cleanliness and uncleanliness, and it's a ritual cleanliness. And honestly, I don't know why he, why the Lord makes some things clean and some things unclean. There might be some uh, reasons related to other nations around them that maybe worship these animals or have special features of these animals. We're not told that. Um, and maybe I can spend some time digging into the, the ancient area culture and context to see what's going on there. But it doesn't really change the understanding is that God had clean things and he had unclean things. And what he wanted was his people to be ritually clean. But notice that, I didn't read all of this, but there was parts where, like, if you touch something that's unclean, you're unclean, and then then if you do these certain things, then you're clean again. It's not a sin, okay? So, to, to willingly or knowingly eat an unclean animal would be sinful, um, but to just eat it and, and not realize you've eaten it would not be sinful. What would be sinful is, let's say you're, you have a Moabite neighbor who's got a pig farm, and his pigs come on your land, and you shoo them off, and you accidentally touch a pig. Then, um, that's not a sin. What would be a sin is refusing to go through the ritual, uh, restoring your your ritual cleanliness. So, for Israelites who went to the temple or went to the tabernacle. These ritual cleanliness, uncleanliness rules mattered because it was part of how God ordained that the Israelites would be in communion with him. That they would have to be ritually clean uh, and whatever it took. You know, we look in other areas, there's ritual cleanliness and uncleanliness that has nothing to do with food. Um, if a man has nocturnal emissions, then he's ritually unclean and has to go through a process. Uh, if a woman is menstruating, then once she's done menstruating, she has to go through a process to restore her ritual cleanliness. It, that's all it is. It's this ritual cultic cleanliness or uncleanliness. So for us as moderns, in a, and after the full revelation of Christ, you know, these... Ritual cleanliness, uncleanliness don't really make much sense. And and it should be confusing because it doesn't apply to us. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and show my hand. These don't apply. There's nothing about this that applies to us because we have a great high priest. We have a perfect temple in heaven. And we don't have these rules. We'll get into later with Acts and Peter and with uh, the Corinthian letters and all that. But... But at this point, we just need to know that this is all about ritual cleanliness and uncleanliness. This is what separates them from the other nations. Okay? This is what makes them distinct. These Israelite people, the covenant people of God, this is one of the distinctions they have. They have these rules. They can't eat certain things. They can't even touch certain things. Okay. Well, let's see. So, let's. So, I'm now going to list of some specific case studies or some things we need to talk about. So, what I'm saying here, first off, is uh, based on the Old Testament rules, 
it seems that if you were, but prior to the inception of the Mosaic Covenant, uh, you could eat pretty much whatever you wanted, as long as you didn't eat the lifeblood. Okay, excuse me, post-Noah. Because we know that everybody before Noah was dead, except for him and his family, so you can't even claim that. So post-Noah, you can pretty much eat whatever you want, except for you can't have blood in it. And then Mosaic Covenant, people of Israel have these prohibitions on what they can and can't eat. But we know that later, with Jesus, that no longer applies. Boom. Done with that. All right. So then let's look at some special cases what the people use maybe sometimes in the Old Testament. I talked about that like a vegetarian-vegan idea. There's no justification in the Old Testament for that. Just so you know. There's literally nothing. In fact, when you make temple sacrifices, and I referenced this, you you eat the meat, okay? There are some sacrifices you don't do meat. You you do like a grains and stuff, and you make like a like a flatbread. Uh, there's there's one set of sacrifices though where you make the flatbread and you make the the meat offering, and you you and the the priest eat some of the meat, and I'm like. I remember talking to somebody about that once, and they're like, or in a group thread for church, and somebody's like, "Man, you throw a little tzatziki sauce on it, you got a great gyro." So, gyro. So, there you go. There's, there's, from an Old Testament, even like the most ritualistic issues of meat, doesn't say that. Now, I don't. I'm not getting into the Nazarite vows. We're not going to touch into that. It's a whole other issue. Um, they don't apply anymore, so it doesn't matter. Okay, uh, one thing that comes up a lot is people use the, uh, oh, oh, sorry. Let me let me go back to this for a second. The Maker's Diet. The Maker's Diet uses a lot of these ritual, uses these like Leviticus 11 arguments and then puts some faux science with it. Um, yeah, so just ignore that, faux science. By the way, most nutritional science is not um, good science. It does not have good scientific rigor, just so you know. They don't do double-blind studies, typically. Um, they're very reductionistic. There's all kinds of problems, so we'll just leave that on there. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, with the vegan thing, too, think back. God gave them manna and quail. Okay, they asked for meat, and God gave them meat. So clearly, meat's okay. Give them cute quails. All right, Daniel diet. So I'll tell you a little story. I had just moved to Louisville. I had not been working in Louisville long because I just moved right up from college. I'm just telling you what city I'm in now. Oh, great. Um, anyways, and I was working at this facility um, for adolescent girls, and I was working third shift with some some coworkers, and uh, two older late. They're older than me. And um, they come; they both come out of a different Protestant tradition than I do. Uh, and but, anyways, they were talking about the Daniel fast. And I was like, "What are you talking about?" They're like, "How you're in seminary and you don't know what Daniel fast is?" And I'm like, "I just know Daniel didn't like had a thing with where he and his friends like only ate certain things." And they're like, "Yeah." And so there's this. So you probably are aware of this. There's like this whole industry money-making scheme 
to tell people they should eat like Daniel and they'll lose weight and life will be great. Okay, remember, all these diet plans out there, by the way, are to make money for the people who are selling them. Okay, so, um, when you look at Daniel, it, it's only for 10 days. And I, I'll, I'll be honest, I have never actually looked at the Daniel fast because it's an illegitimate, I can just tell you right off the bat, it's an illegitimate way to use scripture. And I, I know them fight, them's fighting words. And uh, you know what? Come at me, bro. So, so that's, um, so I just think from the get-go, you, you've already, you're not paying attention to what the text is actually saying. Uh, Daniel's also a notorious book for um, a lot of confusion. Just to, just to be honest, like it, it's very difficult. But anyway, so Daniel and his friends, they agree. They they don't eat the food that the um, Babylonians are giving to their their captives. Um, and let, let me let me start again. So let me set the stage. So in ancient cultures, um, when you captured a place or one of the um, a group of people to have peace. You would, you would trade. You would exchange um, high-level officials or their children. Uh, now, in this case, there wasn't a trade. Babylon just took them because what you do is then you train them in your, the conqueror's way of thinking, way of doing things, and then they will then, hopefully, squelch their own people's desire to um, rise up because then they're bought into the system. Anyway, so Daniel was a part of this group. Um, and they were going to be given choice food. So there's probably very, like, rich foods, lots of wine, lots of treats, lots of meat. And so Daniel's like, uh, no, let us just get, just let us have vegetables and, and water to drink. Now, honestly, and I haven't looked up in the commentaries, but my first thought, just initial blush when I'm reading this, is that he's wanting to show a distinction. He's wanting to show that God will care for them. Because when you read, everybody's like, oh, they're going to get all skinny and they're going to look terrible and stuff. And why would they say that? Because people who only eat vegetables and drink water are pale and aren't healthy looking. I've met many vegans, and I'm sorry if I'm offending you here, but it's the truth. <laughs> vegans don't look healthy, okay? The, you know, one of the things... Um, when you med read medical records, they look at skin to know the health of a skin. Of skin, uh, that's one aspect. There's other aspects to it too, and so um, they're saying that let us let us not let us just eat vegetables and drink water, and we'll trust on the provision of God, our God Yahweh. And so Yahweh sets it up where they can do this, okay, and He cares for them. There doesn't seem to be any indication that, um, well, and after they did 10 days, and they're like, they're looking good, and then they kept doing it, and God was blessing them in other ways, too. So it was clearly God's work that was doing it, not their diet, okay? And that's that's the other problem, um, because then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, and then they're presented to Nebuchadnezzar, and they enter into the king's personal service. Uh, it's most likely that at that point, then they 
went back to eating what they what they could, what they wanted, or specifically probably following um, mosaic laws on what they can and can't eat. So by you taking that as a diet is to totally misunderstand the text. Now, if you're fasting, we're told to fast in the New Testament, and there's also fast in the Old Testament. Um, that's different. Fasting should not be a dietary thing. We'll get into that when we get into the New Testament. But So this is just a, clearly a case of trusting in God and not food issues, truly. All right, let's look at Ezekiel. Uh, one of my pastors likes to laugh about this. Um, you guys probably know about Ezekiel bread. But it is kind of a strange thing. Why would you want Ezekiel bread? Well, it's got all these grains and stuff. And I'm not saying that's bad. They have all these multi-grains. Multi although, uh, grains are hard to, to digest. Um, I'm not opposed to grains. We, we eat bread all the time. I grow, I grow, I grow, I grow grains. But, um, let's look at Ezekiel. So, we're going to be in chapter 4. So what happens is Ezekiel is declaring from the word of the, of the Lord that, that Jerusalem is going to have a siege placed on it and things are not going to go well, okay? This is in the midst of just like everything is circling the drain for, for Jerusalem, okay? So um, God's having Ezekiel do some really crazy things, like really bizarre things and that's how extreme the sin is in Jerusalem and Judah and how seriously God is having to punish them so we're going to read through um, 4 9 through 17 okay and this is I'm going to read it all and then we're going to talk about but as for you take wheat barley beans lentils millet and spelt Put them in one vessel and make them into bread for yourself. You shall eat it according to the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days. Your food, which you sh eat, shall be 20 shekels a day by weight. You shall eat it from time to time. The water you drink shall be the sixth part of a hen. By measure, you shall drink it from time to time. You shall eat it as a barley cake, having baked it in their sight over human dung. And the Lord said, Thus will the sons of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations, or I will banish them. But I said, Ah, oh, Lord, God, behold, I have never been defiled. For from my youth until now I have never eaten one died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has any unclean meat ever entered my mouth. Which, by the way, I want you to remember that when we get into the New Testament facts. Okay? We'll come back to this. Then he said to me, See, I will give you cow's dung in place of human dung over which you will prepare your bread. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I am going to break the staff of bread in Jerusalem, and they will eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and drink water by measure and in horror, because bread and water will be scarce, and they will be appalled with one another and waste away in their iniquity. All right. So, Ezekiel bread. It's sold as a health food. Does not seem to be a health food in here. <laughs> it seems to be a punishment. All right, so you got wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt. So I'll give you this: like, there's, you got a lot of um, good things in there. Problem is, are you actually digesting them? Particularly with beans and lentils, they're not easily digestible. Uh, 
if they're sprouted, you got an okay chance of getting the nutrients, but otherwise you're not getting nutrients from them. Uh, wheat, barley, millet, spelt, kind of the same deal unless you've got them sprouted or you got sourdough kind of pre-digesting for them. They're not going to be nutritious. So you eating Ezekiel bread, <laughs> unless they sprout the grains, is not good for you. Um, it's, no, it's not better for you than other bread for the most part. Like, it's better than Wonder Bread. Wonder Bread's terrible. Tastes terrible, too. Anyways, um, so I said make your bread. Okay. And then you're going to eat it for 390 days. So he's going to eat it for over a year. Um, and then he's going to be eating it. And I don't remember how many 20 shekels is by weight. Anyways, this is, this is what his food is. He's going to eat this bread and drink water. But he has to cook it over human dung. And uh, Ezekiel, sorry. Totally freaks out, understandably, because that's real gross. So God's like, okay, okay. Tell you what, you can cook, cook it over cow dung, because that's not as bad. It's not. Um, so, yeah, he he's going he's gonna to do it. So he does it, okay. And what it is, is symbolizing that they're going to have hard times coming soon, and they're going to be rationing their bread and water this is the whole point and it's going to be for over a year that they're rationing their bread and water this is not a health food uh recipe this is a punishment okay this is not something to take as as an example of what you should do to eat healthy all right so so why does God talk about food? And there's so many examples in the Old Testament of food, of food-related things, and we just don't have time for it. So what is the whole point? Well, the whole point is that God uses food because we all eat. One, he gives us food because he cares about us, but he uses food as an example. He teaches us through food because we all eat and we all connect with it. When we get into the New Testament, we'll look and see, hey, why, why is one of the ordinances... Of the New Testament, we've talked about it already in one episode. Why, why, why is it food? Because we all eat. We get it. It makes sense to us. So, what we've learned from the Old Testament about what we can and can't eat is that don't trust diet fads like the Daniel fast or Ezekiel bread. I mean, if you guys want to go make the Ezekiel bread and cook it over cow dung, let me know how it turns out. Love to hear. Um, but what we've learned is that God provides for his people. He provides for the people he made, his image bearers. And then for his special covenant people, he does have rules. But we also know, and we're reading back from the New Testament, I can't help it, I have, I see Christ in the Old Testament all the time and how he changes what we, how we understand the Old Testament, how he informs our understanding, is that, we don't have those rules and regulations. And that's beautiful. Those rules and regulations are good for that time. But God, through his wisdom, has given us Christ. <clears throat> and Christ obliterates all those old things. And now we live for Christ. He is our manna. He is our bread of life. He is the living water. When we drink of him, we shall not thirst. That is the food we need. That is the prescription for what God tells us we should eat. 
physical food. It seems to be that everything's been given to us. Now, when we get into... So this is not a conclusion. We have to get into the New Testament to have a full understanding. But it's a hint that there's going to be good news. There's not going to be many sin issues that really come up with food. At least not what you eat. So, that's that's kind of the overview of the Old Testament food issues. I've probably... Um, Raise some hackles on some people, maybe upset some people, maybe let some people have some freedom. Please let me know, comments, uh, thoughts, whatever, God's Word displayed at gmail.com. Um, before we finish, I'm going to pray for us, and then hopefully I'll have the next episode out quickly, kind of, so kind of building out this one for a little while. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll close it. Father, thank you again for. Let us uh, be able to produce this podcast, this episode specifically. Please help me to uh, be humble before you and to acknowledge what I don't know and to be willing to learn and to hear you. Lord, let that change my heart. Let me be expecting that you will speak to me and that your word will cut deeply and will help me to trust in your goodness and follow you obediently and to live holy because you are holy. Lord, I ask that if anyone's listening to this, if they aren't trusting in Christ, that you will use this as a means of bringing them and drawing them near to you through Christ. We just ask the Holy Spirit move in their hearts and each one of us to give us freedom in Christ to turn away from sin. In his name we pray. Amen.